Hi, I'm Anastasia Busas. I am a two-time Olympic speed skater. My whole life I have been surrounded by athletes, and every one of them has a story that a scoreboard will never capture. It's not an easy thing to be with an athlete. They don't understand why they're making fun of me because I like to figure skate. Player's own voice is all about the person inside the performance. When you're so in it, I think perhaps we're the people that understand it the least. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. People are curious, and that's great. But there are some questions you just shouldn't ask, or at least not like that. I'm Harvinder Radva. I'm Elena Hudgens-Lyle. And this is Inappropriate Questions. Let's get inappropriate. Our producer, Cindy Long, is joining us today. Hello. She edits our podcast and takes special pride in editing out my jokes. Wow, Harv. I mean, if they were better, maybe I would have kept them in. But... Oh, <laughs> mic drop. Cindy, 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 Cindy. One needs to have a refined sense of humor to understand my jokes. <laughs> I kid, I kid. You have very good jokes, Harv. Oh, <laughs> well, hate to interrupt this loving, lovey-dovey moment, but uh, Cindy is here for a reason. You are interested in us covering the question, where are you from this season? Uh, what is it about this question that got you interested? Yeah, I mean, I was born in China. I moved here when I was four years old. So I basically have no memories of, you know, not living in Canada. Hmm. So when people ask me the question, mm-hmm. it's an instant reminder. That you're not from here. Yeah, like when when someone looks at me, that's the first thing they think mm-hmm. of. Right. My mind immediately goes to like, how do they want this conversation to move forward from here? Do they want to chat about Chinese politics? Like, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> do they want to talk about... <laughs> I don't know, social life there. Like, I don't have memories, really, of that place. So mm. when I get the question, it kind of makes me a bit weary because I'm like, okay, what stereotypes are they associating mm-hmm. with this? Uh, mm-hmm. Fair, 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 fair. Do any stories stand out to you of a time you were asked this? Uh, recently, I was in a volunteer situation where there was someone that I didn't know. He came to wor- work at my station, and then he was like, Korea? Japan? China? And I was like, uh, what? And he's like, uh, where you're from? <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, it's China. And he was like, oh, cool. Like, I'm from Bangladesh. Mm. And I was like, great. And then what? You know? <laughs> and I think he was someone who had immigrated somewhat recently. So I understand the desire to have that, like, shared bonding experience. Mm. Right. I mean, I think the difference is that I feel like I would be okay if someone was asking me genuinely where I grew up Mm. because then I would have tons to talk about. I would have, you know, I could say like, oh yeah, I remember when St. Louis Wings has like half off on Tuesdays. (laughs) (laughs) Ask her about Scarborough Town Center, folks. Exactly. (laughs) I'm curious, Harv, what what are your thoughts on the question? Do you ask it to people a lot? Do you get it asked to you? Yes, I get asked. Uh, but uh, not to the extent I would like to uh, get asked. <laughs> right. <laughs> and do I ask more than I should? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, to me, this is pretty innocuous. This is a good way to start a conversation. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, I'm making an assumption that the other person on the other side is not a racist and doesn't have a, mm-hmm. a, a negative feeling towards me. Right. Mm-hmm. In Canada, we always talk about weather. Well, this is, I would say, equivalent to that, but a little more personal. Mm -hmm. 
I think that there are tons of things that we could make small talk about. And if this question does make people uncomfortable, you know, should we still use it as frequently as we do? Mm. In a lot of situations, it does lead to cool conversations. But at the same time, when I'm asked a question, my body immediately tenses. So maybe there's more to it than asking about the weather. I don't think that they're on equal playing fields as types of small talk. Right. Mm. What are you hoping to take away from this episode and learn about this question? I'm curious to see if there's any way we can reconcile the fact that this is a good way to start conversations with the fact that it can make people uncomfortable. Hmm. There's probably tons of smarter people out there who've done tons of thinking on this, so I'm (laughs) excited to hear what they have to say. All right, Cindy, we are on the case, and now you can go back and make me sound boring. (laughs) (laughs) If Harv wrote a description of what I do, it would be scathing. (laughs) Where are you from? Don't say Canada. Like, they wouldn't even let me answer. You must not be from here. The presumption is that you're not really part of, you know, of this community. You know, where are you from? Where do you originate from? It's actually got a lot more deeper meaning to it uh, for Indigenous peoples. Eternity Martis is a journalist and author in Toronto. She wrote the best-selling memoir, They Said This Would Be Fun, about moving to a smaller town for university and the racism she faced there. Just as a heads up, Eternity talks about some tough experiences with this question. I get asked this question a lot because my dad is Jamaican and my mom is Pakistani. And it is the Toronto thing mm. that anywhere you go, you can like be buying groceries or you could just be having a conversation and someone's like, where are you from? And right. that's what I've grown up with. Just knowing before someone even says hello to you, it's where are you from? Or you hear what's your background, which is the same as kind of where are you from? Mm. And when I moved to London, Ontario, it was more of a like, uh, where are you from? We don't have black people here. Like, mm. where are you really, really from? Oh, we're from Toronto. I'm from Canada. And then someone will be like, no, no, no. Where are you? really from right so how does the conversation usually develop from there i can probably count on one hand in my life where it led to an actual positive conversation Mm. the question is never the question is never about where are you from and what i want to learn the question is where are you from and like we don't have a lot of people like you around here or like Mm. oh well i have a jamaican friend or like jamaican people are so funny i once somebody asked me where are you from and i answered and they called me a terrorist wow and it sounds extreme but i don't have Mm. very good experiences with being asked where you're from and a conversation Mm. actually progressing to something valuable Mm -hmm. Eternity, I think Toronto takes pride in saying that we are the most multicultural city in the world. Mm -hmm. So maybe because people are from so many cultures here, Mm -hmm. people are just more interested to learn someone else's background. I feel like I've been having this conversation a lot since I moved back to Toronto the last couple of years where I get really riled up when I'm asked this question and and people are like, "Um, I'm just asking you a question. Mm. And I realize I get defensive. Mm. I think just even though we have this large multicultural city that we live in, the fact that this has been going on for so long, Mm -hmm. like before, you know, for me, at least before you introduce yourself, before anyone gets like, you know, a chance to know you, they want to know where you're from. And especially I find that this is most bothersome in dating because if someone asks you that question, I immediately assume it's something to do with 
like exotification and it usually is mm-hmm. because it means kind of they're, they're looking for a certain type of person with a certain type of mixed race background mm-hmm. so it, be, it becomes this very loaded question at least to me um what that question means it has so many different meanings it can come from so many different places and has many different intentions behind it mm-hmm. what are would you say the most common intentions or meanings of this question you find mm, okay so for me, the, the most common one is that you look black, but not fully black. So where are you from? Mm-hmm. And then second, where are you from? As in, um, we don't see a lot of people like you. Mm-hmm. So where are you from? And not from in terms of your city. What is your your actual heritage? Mm-hmm. Third is where are you from? So that I can like tell my friends that I met this girl who's like half this, half that, half this, and three quarters that. <laughs> and so <laughs> it's those three. Um, Mm. And then I think that for those people who are racially ambiguous, where are you from is kind of like this nicer way of asking, like, you know, what's your what's your background? Mm. So I would say it's those three. So it starts the attention starts pretty okay, And then it gets into like more like insidious types of um, intentions after a bit. Mm. Is it normally insidious or is just curiosity? And I'll, I'll give you a bit of my example. Sure. I've been here for over 20 years. And as you can see me, uh, I am also not from here, uh, the way the here is, right? Uh But I've never been asked that question and I feel kind of offended. Nobody cares about me. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody has any interest in me. (laughs) And had some people asked me, I would have made some stories, some nice stories so that they can do whatever (laughs) fetishization or whatever that is. <laughs> you want to be exoticized. Exactly. There's the term. That's the term. <laughs> You're just meeting a ton of enlightened people who are like, I shouldn't ask that question. Right. Okay. <laughs> but the worst thing is, uh, I I am Uber friendly because every time I get an Uber, there's a person from a different culture. And that's my first question. Where are you from? Mm. (laughs) Yes, I was just about to touch on that. So I was going to say, like, I, because I know I don't look like Pakistani, people are always shocked. But when I'm in an Uber, like I check out, you know, your profile and it says where you're from and I'll, I'll try and strike up a conversation. But Mm. I noticed that when I say, where are you from? Uber drivers get really, really tense Mm -hmm. and concerned, like they don't want to talk about it. And so, again, it makes me wonder, like, let's strike up a conversation Mm. about, you know, about heritage. Right. But perhaps it's also used in the opposite way as a weapon. Like, where are you from? So Mm. you never know. So I guess really I shouldn't ask because when I was researching the book, I noticed a lot of times when cab drivers were assaulted, that was kind of the like the premise. That was the opening of the conversation. So Mm. I think there's like an immediate reaction of like, oh, no, where is this going? to go mm-hmm. in the same way that I feel that way when people ask me that question like this could go very south or it could be okay mm. I think I tend to assume that this question gets asked more in a smaller town as opposed to the big city you know maybe somewhere that's less diverse you've lived in both a big city and a smaller town can you talk a bit about the differences yeah so in in Toronto, uh, I went to a school that was predominantly Black and Southeast Asian. Mm-hmm. And it was like this time, which, oh, it gives me, ugh, it was a horrible time where there was like, people were on Facebook being like, my name is so-and-so, LS or DS. So it was like the light skin and dark skin camps. Whoa. Oh my, never heard of this one before. I'm glad you haven't. Oh my God. 
And then I went straight from that into London, like conservative, Christian, homogenous. And from like my first day there, everything was about, oh, we have a black girl on our floor. There's a black girl in our class. I was, you know, the only black person in all my classes. And it went from that into something that was a lot larger and a lot scarier, which is I would be out and then um, no one asked me where I was from anymore. They would just assume. So I was mm. black. Um, people would be like, oh, your English is so good. Like, where are you from? Don't say Canada. Like, they wouldn't oh. even let me answer. Where are you from? Don't say Canada. Where are you from? Where are your parents from? Uh, Eternity, um, have you forgotten the your food smells very nice? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> What's that smell? What kind of curry is that? Which is just like another, like, like aka close the lid on your Tupperware. I don't exactly, like it. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh, God. That kind of stuff that seems very just kind of not not insidious yet but ignorant and then coming back to Toronto being asked where are you from kind of traumatized by the question and um, never really got over that because when I started to date in Toronto even though this is a multicultural place you still get where are you from <laughs> and so the, the it hasn't necessarily been a positive thing for me um, <laughs> I am traumatized by the words, where are you from? Mm. So, so Eternity, uh, you have used the word trauma twice. Mm-hmm. So obviously this has had a huge impact on you. Mm. Uh, I, I just want to explore a little bit more about the impact it has had, this question has had on you. Mm. Yeah, it's um, so when I was writing my book, I wrote about this because um, in Canada, we don't have a lot of race-based data, mm. but in the States, they have a ton of data on how racism makes you sick, literally sick, how you can catch a common, you know, you're you're more likely to get a common cold, mm. you're more likely to feel suicidal, depressed, hopeless, um, contributes to dropout rates. I was going through all of that. And one of the things that scared me was that um, when all this was happening in London and, you know, everything kind of just became about me being Black or me being racially ambiguous whatnot Mm. I never wanted to leave the house so by the end of my second year I stopped going out I stopped going to class I stopped socializing Mm. because I was afraid of people asking me that question wow and when I looked at the research when I was working on my book the fear of anticipating a racist act the fear of anticipating a microaggression and in many cases the way that that question was framed was a microaggression Mm. um, just anticipating that could also make you sick it has the exact same side effects or effects as experiencing like a direct act of racism so in a way it was really traumatic because i just withdrew socially and that is one of the things that happens so um i think like what i do say like i'm like i'm traumatized by it it's not in the like the casual way it's a fear of being asked that question because you know where the conversation is then going to go amazing amazing and 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 these are the little things which uh when people are doing these microaggressions, these things just get overlooked. Yes, and it builds up. And yep. every little every little moment, every little look, it starts to build up. And then you don't want to partake in anything. And so I, I appreciate the question. I think it, do, it can, for some people, lead mm-hmm. into kind of discussions. It just hasn't been the case for me. <laughs> and I'm not at the place to like start opening up to the question. Right, yeah. We often close out by talking about like how we can you know, explore these curiosities more sensitively. Um, is there a way to make this question appropriate small talk? And 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 I want to 
add to what Elena is saying. Also, we don't want to be, uh, uh, what's the term? And here I'm not using the color and the color of the skin, but colorless as in no sense of uh, fun and humor. Mm -hmm. uh, right. If we are going to be cautious every single word we say, life will be very dull, very boring. Mm -hmm. So it, uh, we, we, we need to explore a place where we can be respectful towards each other, but we are not also walking in eggshells. Mm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that the only real way to kind of ask the question is to kind of read the room. Um, mm -hmm. I think also just waiting to, mm -hmm. yeah, just waiting for somebody to tell their story when they're ready to tell you mm -hmm. is probably also a really great way of kind of gauging the situation. I think a lot of times we're so excited. We, we're just kind of curious, maybe nosy too. And we just <laughs> want to know where someone is from. And I think that can overtake someone else's comfort um, or discomfort with the question. So waiting to see if the moment's not right or doesn't come up, let somebody else come to you with that. And then you can have the conversation. Then you're free to have it. They've opened it up. Mm. To me, I value people like that because I know that we're having a conversation. We're talking, we're vibing because of who I am, not because of what I look like or where I may be from. My name is Carlos Kreft. I live in Tulsa, Oklahoma with my wife and two kids. My experience with the question, where are you from? Everyone asks that question, right? But it's not so simple. So I was born in Tumaco, Colombia. I you know, grew up in very poor, war-torn countries throughout Latin America and Africa. My father spent his career working to help the poor via the U.S. Agency for International Development and NGOs. And so we moved from country to country every couple of years. That's what I'm going to give you if you drill for that question. You're having a calm, casual conversation with a stranger. They're not that interested in you to find out your life story. And unfortunately, if you want that question answered, that's what you're going to get. I do have my default answers. I usually say, oh, I'm from everywhere. I feel like it's, it's, it's going to take a lot of energy. It's just a long conversation to have. I'm Trana Winter, a writer, comedian, singer, basically Barbra Streisand minus the money and some of the talent. And I'm Thomas LeBlanc, a gay Quebecois host and producer who's really, really, really into Celine Dion. We're the hosts of Chosen Family, a CBC podcast where we speak to our heroes about what it means to find community in the creative process. Chosen Family is available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. I had heard a little bit about how this question can actually be pretty common and important in some indigenous communities. So I wanted to explore a bit more about that. My name is Eva Jewell. I am Anishinaabekwe from Deshkanzi Bing. I am an assistant professor at Ryerson University. I'm an associate fellow at the Yale Institute. And I am happy to be here. So, Eva, what has been your experience with this question? Yeah, so I speak from a, the perspective of a person who is from a First Nation community. And so in social interactions amongst people that are linked to First Nations communities, 
they often ask, where are you from? And it's an opportunity to talk about who you're related to, uh, who you know, who you're connected to, basically, who are your people? And this is something even my mom and my grandma have said, who are their people? What family are you from? Uh, and so on. And so, mm. and the expectation is that I talk about where I'm from and that is Deshkan Zibing. And I always acknowledge my maternal grandmother's people and community, which is Chibos of Rama. And so then I'll often share all of the last names and maiden names of my relatives. And this helps folks, especially folks who are, of course, my elders, uh, to know my people and who and who I am. Hmm. And so it's it's a location uh, question, I think, for me personally, as an Anishinaabe person. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. And you're comfortable sharing your mother's maiden name? <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about it. It would be so easy to scam an Indigenous person <laughs> by asking them, where are you from? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it took me a good like 20 seconds to be like, oh, I get what Harv's going for. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you share those names with people, are people like, oh, I recognize that person, I recognize that person, connecting that back? Absolutely. So like the really good conversations will happen when you connect uh, and know each other's people or you you know similar people and things like that. So it's it's really locating yourself with um, the people who are asking you that question. So mm-hmm. I here's an example. I was I used to go to school and uh, I did my undergraduate degree at the Institute of American Indian Arts in Santa Fe. Right. And we were there was a powwow and a gathering and I walked past a lady who was in a jingle dress, which is a traditionally Anishinaabe uh, dance. Mm-hmm. And she had all these floral designs on her dress. And um, that was a signifier that she was from the Great Lakes area. Mm-hmm. And so I was in the Southwest and just, of course, like so missing home. And I walked past her and I was like, hey, I love your designs and your dress. Where are you from? Mm-hmm. Um, knowing that very clearly she was from my neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. And it turns mm-hmm. out she was from Mount Pleasant and her mom's people were from my reserve, Deshkan Zibing. Oh, wow. And so I was like, what? No way. Where? What's your family? She says, oh, well, I'm the so-and-so family. And I was like, that's my family. Oh. And we just started laughing and we're like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> she was standing in line to get fry bread or bannock. Yeah. And I was like, I can't believe I met a cousin in the fry bread line in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Oh, my God. Just wow. by wow. noticing her and asking her where she's from. So this question is so much deeper than uh, and layered when Indigenous peoples are asking amongst each other. Um, you know, this question, it's its a way of connecting. Mm. So can you talk more about locating? Like, why is it important in Indigenous communities to exchange, like, locations and talk about kind of the geography of where you're from? Well, I think for us, we have relationship-based societies. And so it kind of tells you a little bit about the connections that you do have that you maintain and your responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And it's these genealogies that we have to understand that it has a uh, another layer to it that is actually related to our systems of governance, mm-hmm. our systems of what compose our social systems and our kinship systems. And that could be related to our responsibilities of our clans or the house that we're from, if you're from a, mm-hmm. a nation that has, you know, house system. Mm-hmm. And so these are actually connected to land and places and uh, medicines or mm-hmm. animals or things like that. So when we start getting into kind of the philosophical aspect of where you're from, it's actually got a lot more deeper meaning to it uh, for Indigenous peoples. Yeah, there's a lot of layers there. That's really cool. Uh, Does it matter who asked the question? Hmm. Whether it's only Indigenous people when they ask you this question, you uh, like it? Or if uh, 
person like me asks a question, you like it or you're okay with it. And then if a white person asks this question, then it's a different story. That's a great question. So for me personally, where I'm located, anybody can ask me that question and I'm okay with it because I have a very clear connection to my First Nation community and it's not really a problem. Mm. Um, actually, it was interesting when you had sent the email out and I had to think about, oh, right, this is a loaded question for some people, right. uh, especially, you know, racialized Canadians who may not mm-hmm. be made to feel like they don't belong here, mm-hmm. uh, especially when it's a white person asking that question. Mm-hmm. But for me, as a person who's located and, you know, has a history you know, and a lineage to a community that's been here before colonialism. Um, it's, it really doesn't matter who asks me that question. So you could ask me that question and I would I would have to explain a little bit more where that is that I'm from, mm-hmm. but it wouldn't be problematic in any sense for me personally. Now, if another Indigenous person asks me that, it's got more layers and more mm-hmm. excitement to it because there's mm-hmm. an opportunity for connection and an opportunity to describe kinships and define where it is that we connect to one another. Mm-hmm. So so the, my, then the second question is that if an Indigenous person doesn't ask you this question, do you feel offended? <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly a missed opportunity. I will say that. I will be offended and just uh, think that you don't want to connect to me. <laughs> Maybe I would notice the omission if it were if if some other social cues in the conversation led me to notice that omission. But I, <laughs> but no, I don't mm-hmm. think I would be offended. <laughs> no, but you wouldn't consider. And here I'm just assuming that you wouldn't assume that that person is whitewashed or something like that. No, oh, definitely not. It, it, okay. it um. You know, whitewash is an interesting concept to bring up because now we have we're getting into the complications of settler colonialism and how some indigenous mm. people don't get to grow mm-hmm. up within their communities, and um, they may not have these same social cues or same socialization, and so it's always mm. something that we have to think about and be considerate of. Mm. When you're talking about the people who don't have this connection, are these people who are adopted out of their community or sixty scoop survivors and people like that? Yeah, absolutely. So it gets difficult when you're asking this question uh, for those peoples whose relationships with their First Nations or their Indigenous communities are more distant because the nature of of settler colonialism uh, is to erase Indigenous peoples and erase our connections to our community and our lands. That was literally what the project of settler colonialism is. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't leave people unscathed. So, of course, residential school is doing a number on us, uh, to say the very least. Mm. And when those schools were closing... The system of taking children away from their families and the communities didn't stop. It just transformed into what you mentioned, and that's the 60 scoop, which was a concerted effort on the part of the Canadian state to remove Indigenous peoples from their homes, to place them in white homes where their adopted parents would receive much more resources and funding to take care of them than their Indigenous birth parents ever did. Mm-hmm. And so this is a system that is still in effect, actually. Like, so, um, wow. you know, 52 really? Yeah, 52% of children in foster care are Indigenous, but they account for only 7% of the child population. And mm. so right, more right. there are more children in care right now than there were at the height of the residential schools. Whoa. And so when you're asking an Indigenous person, where are you from? And you're expecting kind of this cool story. Like in my case, I can tell you <laughs> about like I have a connection to my community, but I'm very privileged in that way because mm. I'm not 
from those people that were taken away from communities. Mm -hmm. And so this is another kind of layer to the the socialization when I'm hanging out with Indigenous peoples and I notice that people don't necessarily talk about where they're from, it's also not necessarily going to be something that I'll push because I have that sensitivity to understanding that all of these complications and all of our locations are made much more complex as a result of settler colonialism. Hmm. Do you ever ask this question to a non-Indigenous person? Mm. The funny thing is that I, as an Anishinaabe person, have asked this question of white settlers or white Canadians. I'm like, no, but where are you really from? Mm-hmm. Because for mm-hmm. us, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't, you're not from here because I'm from here. Right. So where are you really mm-hmm. from? Where are your people from? And it goes back to that question of locating yourself. And what we're doing is mm-hmm. we're not normalizing the white Canadian in this space, mm-hmm. uh, in an Indigenous space, because that's not actually where they're from. And so I would ask people like, but where are you from? Like I had friends in high school who were white and I'd be like, well, where you're, where, where did you come from? <laughs> you know, I did, th- I do this a lot, actually. I'm like, where are your people from? And they generally yeah. know because I'm an Indigenous person from a place mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that they have to, you know, they have to fess up and say, well, okay, well, I guess, um, you know, my lineage is from England or Scotland or, uh, you know, my ancestors were from Austria or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And so it's always in that when they have to pivot um, with my indigeneity that they actually have to talk about where they are from because they can't say, oh, I'm from Toronto. Right. No, that's Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, and Wendat territories. That's not where you're from because you're not from those nations. Mm. So this question kind of goes, has a couple different elements to it. When an Indigenous person is asking a, a Canadian, where, no, where are you really from? Mm. Uh, that, again, implies that's not, a, that's not a naturalized person to this place because we are naturalized people to this place. Hi, I'm Armanik Bali, and I'm a journalist at the CBC. I think a lot about the question, where are you from? That's because when I grew up, I grew up in Mississauga. It was uh, a time where a lot of people were moving in. My mom's uh, Brazilian, my dad's Iranian. And where are you from in elementary school was just like this everyday question. The feeling was everyone is new here, not just to the school, but to the city and to the country. It felt like, hey, Where are you from? Because I'm also not from here. That was like a way of connecting. It was like, we are all together bonded in this idea that we have come to this city, we have come to this country to live here. That context though changes when I move to Toronto because in Toronto, the question, where are you from? It stopped being about belonging and started to be about a bigger, different question. That's why are you here? You aren't from here. Unlike me, who has, I really belong here. I really fit in here. That was really the crucial difference. When someone asks, where are you from? Because obviously you're not part of my group. That is what hurts. Now that we've heard how this question can land so differently, I'm curious to dive into why. Yes, and I'm interested to know if there is an appropriate way to ask it. Ah, Harv, always wanting the concrete advice. (laughs) I'm speaking to Dr. Kevin Nadal. He's a professor of psychology at the City University of New York, and his expertise is in microaggressions. 
I mean, asking someone where they're from might seem like a very harmless type of question, you know, as simple as, you know, asking someone what their name is or so forth. Right. Um, but for a lot of people, um, hearing something like that uh, conveys um, that you're not really a part of this country in, mm. in the U.S. context. You're not really American. Um, you're not really Canadian. You're so exotic. Uh, you must not be from here. Mm. The presumption is that you're not really part of, you know, of this community. Right. And so they might already be on the defense um, of, you know, what is this person really trying to ask me? Mm. Um, and so on one end, you have somebody who just may be curious about either where somebody legitimately is from or what somebody's racial ethnic background is. Um, and for the person who's receiving um, the question, for them to already presume that the question is coming from, you know, a less benevolent place that might be coming from a, a more racially charged place. Mm. And so then there's the, the conflict um, and, and what microaggressions often are is they are conflicts between, you know, what somebody may intend to be communicating and what somebody else is receiving. Mm. With that difference between intent and how something's received, I feel like sometimes people get confused when something they didn't intend to be offensive is called a microaggression. Mm -hmm. Like, what would you say to someone who says, if I don't have bad intent, how can that harm someone? Yeah, you know, one of the best um, analogies that somebody shared with me about this idea of intention is this, is that if I was walking into a building and I didn't see that there was somebody who was right behind me and I slammed the door behind me um, and it then hit the person in the face, I would say, sorry, mm. um, I didn't mean to do it. I didn't honestly see them as they were walking behind me or any number of things that we do to people um, that we didn't mean to do. And so why would this be any different? Mm. So why? say something that uh, was meant to be a compliment or meant to be harmless or even nice and benevolent, but I realized that it caused them some sort of pain. Um, why can't I acknowledge that that still hurt them? That's a super good analogy. Like, I wouldn't have thought of it that way. Cool. Like, I was curious about why this question is such a staple of small talk. You know, like why you meet someone and you're like, where are you from? Like, why is that such a normalized thing? When we don't know what to say, like your your body and your mind, you know, it, it feels tense and un unease and you try to say something, you know, as what we often would say is to break the ice or just to, you know, start off conversation. Mm. Um, but when you're awkward, you really don't have a lot of control over that. You know, mm. um, I find that when people are awkward, that's when most microaggressions um, may occur. And I shouldn't say most, but that's when a lot of microaggressions may occur. You know, they're just saying whatever comes to their mind first. Right. And sometimes that is, um, you know, something that's racially biased. Mm. Um, but, you know, just this idea of, of where are you from being small talk? I mean, I I think it could be small talk. Mm. I think when you remove the cultural implications and the dominant group, it becomes very innocuous talk. So for example, like if I'm with somebody who has pretty much the same identities as me, right. they are uh, queer people of color, let's say they're even Filipino American, and somebody says, where are you from? I'll take it exactly as that and I'll tell them what neighborhood I'm from or what city I'm from. Right. Um, but if it's a stranger and the person has many more dominant identities than I do, I might be more uh, cautious of it. Right, for sure. What's your advice for people who get this question a lot and like navigating these situations? 
Sure. I mean, I think with any microaggression, people have to figure out what works out best for them. Mm. Um, sometimes people um, might turn to humor, which right. um, I think is a very healthy way of dealing um, with the question. For others, you know, they might want to uh, come up with a standard response that they share with people mm. that almost becomes, you know, robotic as a way of of just detaching themselves from any emotion that they may experience mm-hmm. um, when asked such a question. A lot of people might say, um, well, what do you mean where I'm from? And then the the original, you know, question asker will say, well, why are you getting so defensive, right? Mm. I, I don't think it's wrong for people to immediately become defensive. I think mm. being defensive, uh, you know, for the person who receives the question or hears the question, that defensiveness is based on protecting themselves from further trauma. Mm-hmm. If someone wants to make small talk about where someone grew up and doesn't want to make it about race, is there a way to do that? Just ask them directly what you mean. You could say something like, um, oh, what part of New York are you from? Or Mm. did you grow up around here or did you grow up somewhere else? Um, And so those become less loaded questions. Mm. If somebody says to you um, like, oh, so what what part of Canada did you grow up in? Mm -hmm. Um, That already removes the question of uh, me presuming you're not from here. um, But rather saying, you know, just that's what your genuine interest um, is, is knowing you know, what part, what what area they're from. Right. So more broadly, if someone is like, oops, I think I've committed some microaggressions, maybe ask this question in an inappropriate context, what would you say to them? What are some ways we can try to be more conscious of these things and make a change? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, one of the things that we know from from research, from social psychology particularly, is that biases don't ever go away. Mm. Rather, what happens is that we learn how to manage them. And that's something Mm. that I think is more realistic, um, to not presume that any biases you have will ever be erased, um, but rather that you might learn ways on how to correct those biases or identify those biases and then to act Mm. differently. Right. Um, As opposed to somebody who just presumes they don't have those biases and then they don't recognize the stereotype and then they still continue to enact um, those behaviors. Right. And, you know, remember the the analogy of the door. We still want to say sorry, even if we didn't mean to hurt somebody. My name is Sabina McKenna, and I'm the creator of the Where Are You From project. So the project itself is an online photo series accompanied by stories written by the individuals about an encounter with the question. Many of them are essay style, there's prose, poetry, and looks at the cultural and ethnic nuances to Australian identities. I decided to start the project in 2018 because I spent my whole life being asked that question, where are you from? I really was quite alienated by that question. It was something that was asked very casually and flippantly. So it made me feel like when I did have a strong emotional response to it, or I did feel marginalized by being asked that question constantly, that maybe I was overreacting or becoming too emotional. Through the process of having this project, I've learned so much. Some people found it to be a really positive way of opening up a conversation about their culture, especially when asked by other people of colour, it can be a way of relating to each other. 
Other people, of course, had very emotional responses to this question. When we had the exhibition, the first exhibition in Brunswick, there was a lot of emotions in the room. There were a lot of tears. Many people who were close to me came up to me telling me that the whole thing had triggered them, that their experience with that question was something that they knew, like me, was was not positive, but they weren't given the space to acknowledge that and address that until seeing this work. Obviously, that's a really profound thing for me and means a lot to have been able to have, um, to create that space for people. Foremost, it's equipped me with the understanding that I'm not alone in that experience. Well, gang, we made it to the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. Cindy, Harf, takeaways. Whew, so much. Okay. What I am getting out of this is that, yes, this question can be loaded for a whole bunch of people. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, a lot of people also welcome this question. Mm -hmm. So from my perspective, we don't want to make our life so boring by just sticking to the weather. We want to Mm. have a genuine conversation so that it becomes memorable. And in some cases, you may end up becoming friends. So there is nothing wrong in asking that question. But at the same time, if the other person is not receptive, don't feel offended. Mm. Take social cues. Mm -hmm. If a person Mm -hmm. is listening uh, to their inappropriate question podcast, don't bother them. (laughs) Just don't bother them. (laughs) (laughs) Any other podcast, just take the headphones off their head. Oh, my God. Exactly. Yeah. It's really interesting to me to see how this question can lead to so many different experiences for people, you know, to hear eternity say that I've really never had a good experience with this question. And then hearing Eva's context and how this question has led to so many connections. Mm -hmm. For me, I I don't think it's a bad question. I think it's definitely going to still persist in society, but I hope that like we can all think more about it and me personally, I would rather make small talk about something else. Hmm. Maybe a good topic for small talk for people is like, hey, let's debate whether this question is appropriate or not. Yeah. <laughs> there See, you look, go. look at how many conversations <laughs> you can have from it. There you go. <laughs> I'm Harvinder Vadva. And I'm Elena Hudgens-Lyle. Thanks for getting inappropriate with us. A huge thanks to our guests, Eternity Martis, Eva Jewell, and Kevin Nadal. You heard voice notes from Carlos Kreft, Armin Igbali, and Sabina McKenna. Every episode has an accompanying webcomic, and this week it was illustrated by Grace Deachin. You can find it on Instagram at IQ underscore podcast. Also make sure to visit cbc.ca forward slash IQ podcast for a full transcript of this episode. The tenacious troupe behind this podcast are Sabrina Birch, Cindy Long, and myself. The show is mixed by Andrew Norton. Our chase producer is Sarah Melton. And our digital producer is Judy Zigu. Our senior producer is Jeff Turner. And our executive producer is RF Narani. An inappropriate question is like having all your fantastic jokes cut out by your editor. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.